This is for professional and institutional clients only. If they can see that sincerity, if they can hear that consistency in your messaging and they get to know you over time, you gradually build that trust. And then once you've got that trust, you absolutely do not let them down. You make sure that you deliver on it and you feel the burden of that responsibility every day of your life, as you should. Welcome to the Igneo Infrastructure Partners podcast, Keeping It Real Assets. In this series, you will hear from the Igneo investment team in conversation with the leaders of our global infrastructure businesses. We will shine a light on how they operate and their approach to the challenges of an ever-changing world. We hope that you enjoy listening. Welcome to this episode of Keeping It Real Assets, the Igneo Infrastructure Partners podcast series. My name is Sarah Cole and I'm a Managing Director at Igneo. Today, instead of our typical format of a discussion with one of the leaders of our infrastructure businesses, I will instead be having a conversation with Igneo's own business leader, the global head and managing partner, Niall Mills. Niall, welcome to Keeping It Real Assets. Thank you, Sarah. I'm just going to take you back to those early days. How did you build trust with investors, given that this was a first-time fund, it was a new business, and just in the midst of the global financial crisis... How did you convince people to place their trust in you? There were difficult times. There's no question at all about that. Our foundation team in Europe got together, those 708, and a you know, very small number of us. And I think your point about trust is very important because the trust initially comes from trust within your own team. So in those days, raising capital was almost impossible. And really, it took us over a year before we'd raise anything at all. There was a lot of effort, but... As a small team, we got to know each other really, really well. So we hung out together, we went for lunch together every day, we'd go for drinks after work together, we got to know our families, and we built a bond that we still have today. And that core team is still together Absolutely, 100%, today? we're all still together. And then when you're meeting clients, they're quite correctly common that your team hasn't been together for very long. They'd have given you money to manage and there was nobody to manage it, so they're naturally concerned about that, and quite correctly so too. But if they begin to see that, first of all, the team is really tight and likes each other and is mutually supportive, then that comes across. They also saw that the four or five of us there, we had, many of us had significant careers. So you have to explain that you've had a significant career beforehand. You have to explain that you've done this and it's a serious commitment. So that's how you build that trust. You build trust by seeing people and being consistent all the time. All of us, and particularly investors who are entrusted with managing pension fund money, so pensioners' money, that's where this all ends. They're very cautious because they have to be, right? Some things have gone horrendously wrong in the asset management, the investment world, so that they're looking for any risk. But if they can see that sincerity, if they can hear that consistency in your messaging and they get to know you over time, you gradually build that trust. And then once you've got that trust, you absolutely do not let them down. You make sure that you deliver on it and you feel the burden of that responsibility every day of your life, as you should. Let's turn our discussion a little bit towards things that you then do with this great team that you've hired. These are big, intensive industries, infrastructure companies that you invest in. 
how do you actually make a difference? What is the Igneo approach that really separates you from your peer group in terms of how you think about changing these businesses, creating value in these businesses? I think the starting point to that is every single business that we invest in or acquire is different. Every single one, which I suppose is probably stating the blinding obvious, but uh, it's true. So when we're looking for businesses and we spend an awful lot of time searching and researching, trying to find businesses that are suitable for the portfolio, thousands of businesses we've looked at over the last 15 years. But we're looking for businesses that have an opportunity to grow and maybe have been underinvested in in the past. So they need capital. They need an ownership structure that will take a long-term view and support the ambitions in the business. We're looking for talented management teams. And if you don't have talented management teams or there are gaps, you, know, you can find them. We keep in touch with a, a lot of people around the world who may not work with us initially, but there might be a great opportunity in three or four years to bring them into a business or, or even joining our team. But when we find those businesses and therefore are successful in acquiring them, and many of these acquisitions are done bilaterally, so not through an auction process, they're done with the negotiating with the existing owners, which may indeed be partially owned by the management team. But when we do that, we're thinking about a business plan and we're thinking about what can we do? How can we improve this business? How can we grow it? How can we add value? And that business plan is unique to those individual businesses, but it's something we use to show our commitment with the management team. So it's a very simple example, but it does show and signal to the management team and the business that's important is traditional corporate governance would have a board of directors Uh, We'll always have an independent chairman. We'll have non-executive directors as well, but a board of directors. And the classic setup is you will have a remuneration and nomination committee and an audit committee. They're the two sort of formal structural committees that feed into that board. Well, you know, for the life of me, I don't understand why health and safety isn't as important as audit, because it is, because you're dealing with life and death. So we will set up a formal safety committee. Maybe these days a safety and environmental committee. That's okay to broaden that scope. But signaling to the business that we really, really want high, high safety performance in the business. We've got various standards and procedures and and learnings from other businesses that we bring in. And through those safety committees, that's a really strong signal to the board, to the senior management team and to all of the employees that these guys are serious and they want to support a safe and healthy place to work. So that's one. It is a simple example, but it's a structural example. It matters, particularly in these heavy, it really heavy industries. Yeah, I mean, look, yeah. these bigger utilities, the bigger platforms that we invest in have, in some cases, thousands of employees, ranging from extremely experienced individuals right down to apprentices who probably only left school six months ago. And they're operating heavy industrial plants in difficult conditions. Safety is a massive issue. You have to have that. When you're investing billions in a business, and it can be that, it can be billions, and you've got thousands of employees, a lot can go wrong, Mm. an awful lot. And that's why I think taking a real collaborative partnership approach with the management team is so important. Because if you don't, first of all, if you do all of your work at the boardroom, you're missing most of what's going on in the business. We would say 90% of board work is done outside the boardroom. If you come in and you think that you're entitled to be on the board because you're a shareholder, you're not going to find out what's going on in that business. Why would they tell you? Why would they bother? They'll answer your questions. You know, they won't lie to you, but they'll answer your questions, but they're not going to tell you anymore. If you come in and you build a relationship, you build a partnership, you discuss passionately that you care about the business, you share stories, you bring in lessons from other businesses you've worked with, 
and you build that relationship with the senior management team, you'll know everything in that business and they'll value it and so will you. And that makes a difference, makes a massive difference to the business as well. So what I'm hearing is you don't simply work at the board level. You do get to know more of than, course. than just the people that are sitting at the top. Get to know lots of people in the businesses. Of course we do. And we want to meet customers. We want to meet the big stakeholders in the community, whether it's the local mayor, whether it's a politician, whether it's schools or environmental bodies. It's all really important. And if you do that properly, you really can make a difference because what you get is, and we all respond to this in life, you know, when you're valued and people show their commitment, you're better, right? In behavioral science, they call that positive reinforcement. So when you're empowered, you're feeling good, you're getting reinforcement, you're getting praise and support for the good things you want to do, you're better. Simple as that, you're better. And that's what we're trying to affect in the businesses that we invest in with the management teams. You know, we don't swan around the place pretending that we manage these businesses. We work with the management teams with really great, experienced, deeply experienced individuals to try and support and help make the business better. And our track record is we succeed in doing that. Give me some examples of the type of businesses that you invest in. Are these all big utilities? Are there different types of companies and assets across Europe that you've invested in historically? We're a global business. Uh, we've got over 30 portfolio businesses globally. And there are some themes, some very consistent themes. We like what we call platforms and they're businesses that can continue to grow by acquisition and investment. So we have, I mentioned earlier, we have wind platforms or renewables platforms generating in some cases up to two gigawatts of energy. That's substantial. I mean, that's the same as a couple of small power stations, you know, really substantial energy generation. But we also have some airports in Australia. We've invested in two ferry businesses in Europe. We've just ordered what will be the world's biggest battery-powered ferry, and that will do a 45-minute crossing. So this is major innovation that you're describing yeah, big time. here. Innovation is a really important part of any business, but particularly infrastructure businesses. Staying on top of that and embracing it at the right time. You can't take risks. You have to know it's going to work, but you will have teething problems if you adopt innovation. And I really love that. So technology, uh, battery-powered ferries is great. Renewables platforms. We have district heating businesses, and that's where you centralise heating generation, and then you pipe that into municipal housing. So we've got district heating in Estonia and in France. We've got some utility businesses. We're in a partnership in Mannheim for a really, really big multi-utility and incredibly well-run business. In fact, that was a feature of one of the earlier podcasts. It was indeed. That was MVV. So that's the kind of thing we do, but not projects. I guess we're cautious about things like passenger toll roads and that kind of thing. You need to have some certainty that your business case stacks up. So ideally for us, we've got either a lot of data about an, a substantial number of years of performance where you have got some you know, GDP correlation or some reliance on passengers, or you're in a regulator or price controlled environment. So you have predictability over your revenues. And that's important. Now, why is predictability of revenues important? It's important because A, that's how you fund financing and dividends and all the things, but it also enables you to think longer term because you know you've got that capital coming in that can then be reinvested in growing the business. As an investor, how do you think about the risks that come with investing in a regulated business? Political stability is really important. The track record of regulators is important. The ability of the business over previous regulatory cycles to show that it can cope and manage. You need to look at the quality and the condition of the underlying assets, the cables, the pipes, the wires, whatever it might be. You've got to look at all of that and understand, is it in the condition that is being represented or not? So there's a lot of practical stuff in there. And that's why we have quite a few people in the business who have come from 
operating backgrounds because they understand that you need to get under the skin. So for those less familiar with investing in infrastructure, what you're telling us is that you will buy these businesses, but that generally comes with an expectation that you're going to continue to invest more capital and to make them better businesses over time? Correct. Absolutely right. We will continue to invest. We will make the businesses better. We will support initiatives so long as they're commercially sensible. We have to be commercially rational at all times. We don't buy with an expectation of selling or exiting, as we say. So we build an acquisition model where we're looking at the long-term value in that business that will extend to 30, 35 years. But we have to exit or recycle capital and move it on to a more opportune investment if the returns are not being sustained. And that can be driven by regulatory change. It can be driven by changes in the marketplace. It can be driven by competition. But we will be acutely tuned into that over time. You've talked, without naming them as such, I think about a lot of stakeholders. So you've talked about the thousands of staff that work in the companies that we invest in. You've talked about the management teams that you work with. You've talked about the in-house team at Ignio, so the importance of that team. You've also touched on the customers of the businesses that are invested in. And also you've talked about the investors. That's a lot of stakeholder management. How do you balance the interests of all of those different groups? Do you believe that these can be aligned? Or do you think there is always a natural conflict between a customer who obviously doesn't want to pay more than they have to for an essential service for somebody like an investor who's looking to gain a return, but also the staff that are working at these businesses who want fulfilling careers. How do you balance all of those different interests? It's a really good challenge. The first principle is, if you do the right things for the right reasons, you're probably going to get the right outcome. So by doing the right things and supporting what is either obviously the right thing to do or intuitively the right things to do, you will get the right outcomes. And the alignment between all of those different stakeholder groups It's not that disparate. It's not. People are smart, they're rational, they will understand that a well-managed business, a business that protects the environment is good for everybody. A business that invests in young people coming through training schemes and apprenticeships is good for business. So there isn't a fundamental misalignment. And, And actually, quite often, when I'm meeting pension trustee boards who may either be an existing or thinking about investing in one of our funds, quite often they will ask about things like apprentice schemes, They'll ask about crashes, maternity leave. They'll ask about safety. You know, they don't want to invest in something that's going to embarrass them. So I think you've got that alignment. And you've also got when staff, they want a good career, they want to be well paid, they want to have an opportunity to grow and develop and become more senior over time. But when they see a business that's being well managed, when they can see a business investing in a training academy or investing in weatherproofing networks or battery powered ferries, they go home, they tell their friends, they tell their families. Did you know this business is doing this? That not only is great publicity and great community engagement, but retains those staff. They stay with you because they're getting much more than just a job. People don't want a job anymore. They want much more than a job. They want a career. They want to feel empowered. They want to feel they're doing something positive. And that's one of the great things that's come out of the environmental crisis. And it really is a crisis. It's like a really serious crisis. But one of the positives is people are embracing that and they want to contribute to making that better. The funds that Ignea runs, are these sustainable in sort of the green sense of the word? Or is there another way that you would define and think about sustainability? I think almost every business that we've got in the portfolio has a really strong sustainability angle. 
the obvious ones, renewable platforms. So if you've got a great big wind farm and solar farms, they're extremely sustainable and green. But all the way through to what would have been diesel burning ferries that are now either hybrids or, or batteries, that's got a sustainability angle. The utility investments or the district heating investments increasingly switching off traditional carbon generating generation and going to ground source pumps or sustainable fuel sources. So every single one of them has some sort of angle and that's increasing. We publish what we're doing every year. We produce case studies so people can see and touch that. The IGNEO funds are not branded or badged as sustainability funds, but the qualities and the output and the difference those businesses make in a very sustainable way is really substantial. I think there's often discussion, particularly actually within the pension fund world, about the ability for pension funds to affect change based upon how they direct their investment. And I think you're alluding to something quite similar here. When IGNEO invests, it has the potential to have a positive impact, even without having to put a green label on the things that it's doing. Do you believe that businesses today are able to operate within the infrastructure sector without paying a lot of attention to environmental issues, social issues, governance issues, that ESG trio of things that are often talked about. If you don't have a really strong focus and understanding of ESG for the business that you're investing in, you're not going to have a sustainable business. It has to be front and central of the way you run the business. It's not an afterthought. It's not something you do on the side when you've got a bit of time. It's part of running a proper business. Any business has to be run like that. And actually, if you look back through the history of time, many great businesses that at the time we didn't realise were actually really good at that stuff. Their governance was good. Their innovation was good. Their safety management was good. Employee engagement, they embraced communities. It's been there. These days, it's a prerequisite. It's not an option. Definitely a prerequisite. Can we talk about climate change? Is this something that Igneo pays attention to beyond investing just in renewable type assets? Have you made any commitments as a business contributing to carbon reduction, to net zero, to a lot of these buzzwords that we hear? What does this actually mean in terms of the Igneo business? Every single one of our investee companies has a net zero commitment. Some as soon as 2030, some 2040, some might take a bit longer, might even be close to 2050, but every single one has a plan to achieve that that we monitor on a regular basis as part of business as usual. So we categorically have embraced that as both Igneo and within the portfolio. And we're doing some great things to really achieve that and accelerate that. I mean, there's one business where legally in its jurisdiction, a coal-fired power station has to be closed by about 2035, 2037. We've accelerated that to 2028. That's making a big difference, right? Unquestionably making a big difference. And how are we doing that? Well, we're closing it down because we've accelerated the deployment of renewable energy. So putting good technology, good investment to work to achieve a lower carbon footprint for that business. So yes, we have. What are you most proud of over the last 15, 16 years with Igneo? Well, I've only lost my phone twice, (laughs) which is pretty good going. Um, I've missed a few flights as well. I've got better at that, but not much better. I don't know. I think pride Oh, it's the team, isn't it? People just doing well and watching the commitment and, and seeing people grow and develop and really understand. We have delivered some fantastic investment outcomes and results for our investors. We have done good for the communities and for the underlying pensioners and 
and trustees that are responsible for this. That's really satisfying. I've used the expression before. It's a huge burden of responsibility, but it's deeply satisfying to get that right, as it is seeing friends and colleagues who may have joined you as a new graduate, like I was back in those days, and really grow into something quite special. Yeah, that's something to be proud of, isn't it? I would say so. What happens next? So I think you've been global head for a couple of years now. What's next for, for Ignio? Where's the business headed over the next few years? Well, we've, we've hit 100 people, so we're going to continue to grow, but we're, that's a sizable team. We've got five funds globally, all of which are doing really, really well, all of which are delivering returns above the promise, the commitment that we made to our investors. So that's really something to be proud of and good. But I think a couple of those funds still have plenty of capacity to keep growing. So the short to medium term is raise capital to keep deploying and growing those funds and and finding new great businesses to invest in. There's always some activity in terms of divesting or recycling capital into something else that's busy. We'd like to expand our range of products and probably launch another European fund in a couple of years. Our global fund has lots of headrooms. We really want to find some good new businesses to buy there. And we're exploring what next? Do we launch a, a North American focused fund, maybe a slightly higher risk or um, you know smaller acquisitions to tap into that market? Do we launch a renewables product? I think growing the business, the managed growth, it's controlled, it's well thought through. And that's the way we approach our products and our investments as well. You have to be patient in this world. And that's not always easy, but you have to be patient and uh, think long-term. And that means we've got a five-year business plan. Of course we have. And we want to keep growing. We want to keep delivering, but we will never do that at the expense of poor results. We'll never do that at the expense of making rash decisions. We are measured. We're commercially astute. We think things through properly in terms of risk and return. And we will not take on things that we don't believe, either the skills or the people to deliver. But lots more to come. That's what I can promise. I think anybody listening is as impressed as I am with the enthusiasm that you still have for something that you've been doing for a very long time. And it doesn't sound like that's diminishing either. There's lots of igneo fire still burning in my <laughs> belly. Lots, lots of fire in my belly still. A thank you to everybody for listening. A big thank you to Niall Mills. This podcast series will return to its normal course of business in the next episode as we go back into the details of the individual companies that we invest in. But we do hope that today has given you some insight into the values, the strategy, the thought process that sits behind all of those examples that we talked to you about. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you for listening to Keeping It Real Assets, the Igneo Infrastructure Partners podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, you can listen to more by following Igneo Infrastructure Partners on your favourite podcast platform. If you'd like to find out more about Igneo Infrastructure Partners, you can visit our website at igneoip.com. This podcast series was produced by Mark Gardner at OX4 Sound Studio. This podcast is not a financial promotion and has been prepared for general information purposes only. 
It is not intended to be investment or financial advice and does not take into account the specific investment objectives, financial situation or needs of any particular person. References to specific securities should not be construed as a recommendation to buy or sell such securities. Investment vehicles managed by IGNEO Infrastructure Partners are only available to institutional investors, professional investors, qualified investors and wholesale clients. They are not available to retail clients, the general public, private customers or any persons in any jurisdiction in which their distribution is not authorised. IGNEO Infrastructure Partners is an unlisted infrastructure asset management business and is part of the First Sentier Investors Group. We communicate and conduct business through different legal entities in different locations. Please refer to the notes section of the podcast platform you use for more information on IGNEO infrastructure partners in your region. For Singapore only, the podcast should be used in accordance with the applicable laws in Singapore. In Singapore, the podcast is issued by First Sentier Investors Singapore, whose company registration number is 196900420D. This advertisement or material has not been reviewed by the Monetary Authority of Singapore. First Sentier Investors Registration Number 53236800B and IGNEO Infrastructure Partners Registration Number 53447928J are business divisions of First Sentier Investors Singapore.